Well, I'm excited to preach. I love, I love studying God's Word. I love learning. In fact, I want to be a lifetime learner. How about you? I'm, I'm never going to know it all, and I don't ever want to because you never can. So I would encourage you to be a lifetime learner as well. And one of the reasons we have Sunday morning sermons or messages is because um, we need to have our brains nourished and our spirits nourished continuously because, like my wife Pam said, um, we get assaulted all week long by this world, and we need to come back every single week, if not every single day. Amen? Amen. Well, we're having fun talking about being better together. And uh, I mentioned the concept of the Trinity last Sunday, and I want to develop that a little bit more. Uh, but before we do, how many of you heard about the uh, missile attack in Syria as the response to chemical weapons being used that killed 49 men, women, and children, mostly civilians, in the nation of Syria? Just a tragic, both events are tragic. I don't know anybody in their right mind who would say war is good. It may have its place, it may have a purpose, but it's just a tragic and brutal experience. And um, it's kind of scary being alive nowadays. When you say it's possible, things could escalate. And so when I think about last days, I'm going, definitely closer. I pray for peace. I pray for diplomatic negotiations to work. And I, I pray that men and women around the world, their lives would be saved, not lost. The reason I bring that up is because uh, one of the diplomatic solutions to the civil war in Syria is to bring in all the surrounding nations. And, and there are several nations who have a vested interest in the outcome of that war. Um, Iran and Russia, the NATO alliance, the United States, other European countries. And what's interesting about this civil war is that no matter how often diplomats come together, they seem to get nowhere. And I'm convinced the reason why is because everybody has their own agenda and none of them match anyone else's. Everybody's out for their personal gain of some kind. And uh, for that reason, I don't know how far they're going to get in negotiations. It's just part of the fallen world, human condition. But I bring that up because the, the truth is really similar about... People, people are like nations. On our own, we all have our own individual agendas, and we don't naturally come together and agree until God does a miracle in our hearts and we begin listening to the same conductor, the Holy Spirit, living by the same set of music, playing our instruments together. Then we can possibly walk in unity and walk as one people, the family of God. But we've got to get better at it. And I really think as we take a look at the community of God, isn't that a cool concept? That the Trinity, the three persons of the Godhead, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, are actually a community? If we take a look at that and, and study some of the ways in which they interact with one another, how they operate together, I think we can make some direct application in, in how we can grow and get better at walking in the spirit of unity. Uh, one of the places where you see the, the Trinity kind of revealed is in Luke chapter 3, verse 21. Turn your Bibles or your device or take a look at the overhead. Luke chapter 3, verse 21. It's a really cool story where it's the time when um, Jesus is coming to be baptized. Oh, look, I've got a nice summary statement right there. Let's read that. The origin of the concept of community is found in the nature of the triune God. That was the part I skipped. 
I, I want to point out that this idea of community is not a man-made idea. It's kind of like marriage is not a man-made idea. It's a God idea. This idea of community, you know, we talked last week about all the attempts men make, like the Coca-Cola song we'd like to teach the world to sing and all this fun stuff. And even great orators and presidents of the past have had these beautiful statements of calling people together. But the origin of community is found in God himself. And so that's why if we'll use the picture of who he is together as our model, I think we're going to get a lot further. So I'm pretty excited about where we're headed today. So that place I was talking about, Luke chapter 3, verse 21 and 22, is where uh, John the Baptist was baptizing all kinds of people as a result of his preaching. And he told them, there is a Messiah on his way. I'm not worthy to carry his lunch bag or tie his sandals. Um, he's greater than I. And so when he finally appeared, John said, behold, the Lamb of God. I mean, what an awesome moment in history. It gives me the chills to think what it would be like to be there. And so the Bible says when all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. And as he was praying, listen to this, heaven was opened and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove and a voice came from heaven. You are my son whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. That's phenomenal. One of the few places, but there are many throughout the scriptures, where all three persons of the Godhead are present at the same moment. Now here's a distinction I want you to make. The Holy Spirit was not the voice speaking from heaven. It was the Father, right? And the Father was not the one standing waist deep in the Jordan River, right? It was the the Son, and the Son of God, Jesus, did not land on his own shoulder, did he? It was the three distinct separate beings. That's phenomenal. And neither, no two of them are exactly alike, even though God is one. So we'll talk about the Trinity this morning, and two things I'd like you to help me with. Number one, don't try to get it 100%, okay? You will go nuts, okay? Because it's just beyond man-made comprehension, Second thing I'd like you to do is when we begin looking at some of the distinguishing uh, pieces of that puzzle, I I'm going to make some statements, but don't think I'm making exhaustive, complete square boxes. This is exactly what the Father's up to, exactly what the Holy Spirit is up to, because obviously there's overlap, and we don't fully understand exactly everything about how the Godhead operates. But there are some key things we can observe that I think are pretty exciting. All three of those members of the Godhead, had different roles. But one thing we know for sure, they were all in perfect agreement. Nobody was arguing with the other one. When the voice came down, behold, my son, in whom I love. The Holy Spirit didn't go, well, what about me? Right? And when the Holy Spirit landed on the shoulder, the Father didn't come down and said, hey, I want to do that. They all had distinct roles and responsibilities in that moment. One way to understand the Godhead might be with a diagram. Sometimes it's better to use contrast instead of comparison to get a concept down or to add to your understanding. So a couple of things we can note. Number one, the Father is not the Son, but the Father is God. The Son is not the Holy Spirit, but the Son is God. The Holy Spirit is not the Father, but the Holy Spirit is equally God. All equally God 
absolutely aligned and equal in power and authority. In fact, throughout the Bible, when Christians are praying, or people are praying, they use the names interchangeably. Heavenly Father, this. Or they call Jesus Lord, I worship you. Holy Spirit, God has seen what you're up to. So all three are treated exactly the same as equal in terms of authority. But there's a couple of other things that we have to understand. The origin of the Trinitarian doctrine was actually introduced by a man named Tertullian. Tertullian was an interesting guy. He was a Christian thinker and philosopher from Carthage, which was the North African version of Rome. You know, Rome became like the center of the Catholic Church. And by the way, in those days, Catholic simply meant universal. It wasn't a denomination. It was the one and only church. All followers of Jesus were part of the Catholic Church, and all of the the bishops and uh, leaders that went out from Rome were all unified around one central set of doctrines and teachings. But Carthage was kind of like the North African branch of Rome, of the Catholic Church. So Tertullian was one of the most intelligent and prolific writers of that era. What's interesting about him is he actually uh, lived around 160 to 220 AD. So think about this time period. Do you remember how old John the Apostle was when he died? He was about 95. So within about 70 years, Tertullian's walking the earth. He's one generation away from John the Apostle. So he's really close to the origins of our faith. The man in between him was a man by the name of Polycarp. Driving around town, you might have seen churches called St. Polycarp Catholic Church. Polycarp, it is said, was mentored by John the Apostle. Tertullian was mentored by Polycarp. So I just think that's so cool. It's just three generations of believers teaching and mentoring one another. So Tertullian came up with a couple of ideas. Number one, he coined the word Trinity. um, And then when he tried to describe it, he said it in Latin, it it goes like this. uh, Tres, I'll do it in English Latin. Tres personae and una substantia. Pretty clear what that means. Three persons, one substance. It's a little mind-blowing, but that's who God is. But this word personae, we often translate that automatically as persons, but in the Latin, it actually means uh, roles. As easily, it could mean a person or an individual center of consciousness. So three roles, one substance is the way he tried to describe it. And the reason he came up with this is because there were heresies circulating around the church uh, in the early days. And uh, many of the church fathers, Tertullian is one, Polycarp is another, Origen is another, there's all kinds of beautiful writings by these men, um, were all at work generally coming up with their doctrines as a response to a heresy. So response about the Trinity was one of those because there were folks trying to say no, God the Father is God, but Jesus the Son is not. Or there is no Holy Spirit, there's only two. All kinds of crazy things. So that's where a lot of these teachings came up. So when you think about the Trinity, sometimes it's better to think about them instead of as persons, think about them as roles and responsibilities. I'll give you an example. When you're married, you can be a good spouse or you can be a bad spouse, but if you're married, you can never be an unspouse. You're a spouse, right? Or if you have kids, you become a parent. You can be a good parent, you can be a bad parent, but you can't be an unparent. See, the same is true with the roles of the Trinity. Once they take on a role that they have chosen, they can never have an unroll. 
If you've been given a role, you've got a job, and you've been asked to take on this responsibility at work, as long as you're at that company, that is your role until your manager changes your position. You can never have an unroll. So each of these are, you might say, again, this is where it, it's blurry, but I'm going to use the term, they're kind of locked in. They're kind of locked in. They have different responsibilities and different roles. So let's get started with um, the first one. Let's talk about God the Father. I want to talk about his roles and responsibilities. And uh, again, general, but just to give you maybe a different angle about how to understand unity and how to get there. So first one is roles of God the Father. We could pick probably 500 attributes of God, right? I mean, he's just endless, incomprehensible. So I chose, let's just pick three of the kind of primary things God the Father is up to. He is a creator, he is a commander, and he's a designer of the community, okay? He was there. He spoke creation into existence. He followed that with commandments that we just studied in the book of Exodus a few weeks ago. And he continues to design the community and arrange people and arrange gifts. And he, he designs creation. He designs nature. So let's just pick those three, and let's say God is primarily creator, commander, and designer, by the way, the first time the word community appears in the Bible is in uh, Genesis 28.3. This is where um, Isaac is actually declaring a blessing over Jacob right before he sends him off to go find a wife. And uh, remember with uh, Isaac, he's just basically one of two sons of Abraham. And so the family of God is really small. So Isaac is declaring a blessing on Jacob and he's saying, get big. And he says, may God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and increase your numbers until you become a community of peoples. The word community there just means the, a gathering of peoples. So what Isaac's telling his son is, um, you go and be fruitful and increase in number until you become a community. In other words, the purpose and goal of your presence on earth is to become a community. And you're not there yet because it says until you become, which means there's forward motion, there's progress. God is on a mission to create community. And he prefers them to be all his community and not the enemy's, right? Or anybody else's. And so he's in process of, of developing and assigning and designing and creating this community. And since he is the author of life, and he's the one who actually causes children to germinate and be born. He's the author of human beings. He's the creator. And uh, he's the one who's going to continue to give people kids because that's a, a miraculous work. It's not simply biological. Would you agree? Yeah, it takes the hand of God because if it was purely biological, whew, there'd be a lot more kids on earth because we know for some reason, some parents just can't have kids right away. Some never can. So it's clearly a work of God. So as creator now, he's like trying to develop a community that grows in number. If all three members of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, have an assignment, but they all work together in perfect unity and agreement and harmony, do you understand that their roles can be different, but they never conflict? God the Father, Son, Holy Spirit are always in agreement. They always have the same goal. And this is what it is, to develop a community that continues to grow in numbers. Um, the interesting thing about this threesome in heaven is 
they collaborate. They do work together. I think they have discussions. In fact, we know they do. They talk to each other from heaven to earth, and the Holy Spirit you know, spoke to Jesus and showed him things and people to heal and what to say. And, and uh, I think they communicate. So there's collaboration. This word collaborate is interesting. It's actually a, a good word for humans to understand. Co-labor means work together. So when you wonder about what the Godhead is up to, they, they have ideas and plans and dreams for us. They're not just sedentary meditators of goodness, where nothing goes on any more than Christians should just be sedentary meditators of good things or the presence of God. There's a place for that, but it's so that we can join him in his mission, which is to create a community. In the same way, I really believe members of the body of Christ have been given some of these three qualities. Some of you are called to be creators. Some of you are called to be designers. Some of you are called to be commanders in the community of God. I'll give you an example. We had a beautiful memorial service yesterday right here. And I'm not sure if you can still smell the cigarette smoke when you came in, but there were a lot of smokers. And uh, there were a lot of bikers and a lot of truckers. And it was awesome. I love that God is bringing every walk of life into this building so they can hear about Jesus. And we had a beautiful memorial service. But the reason I bring that up is because... Um, Courtney, who is the daughter-in-law of the, the gal who passed away, uh, Courtney Zog is now her name, used to be Courtney Baker. How many of you know Courtney? Yeah, she's wonderful. She was clearly the creator when it came to the program that we printed out. She wrote this beautiful thing, all four pages, front, back, inside, outside, pictures, everything, and she emailed it to us. So I got this long text of just nothing but email, you know, text, which is pretty difficult to read. But she created the document. I immediately forwarded it to Anna Garcia. Anna turned this kind of, you know, boring text into this gorgeous fonts and colors and pictures and design and everything else. She's clearly a designer. She has the father's heart of design built into her. And then as soon as it was time to set up, my wife Pam... She directed traffic. Okay, chairs here, tables there, design here. We want ambience, we want lighting, we want the brochures over there. She's definitely got the gift of commanding. <laughs> and it's awesome. So I want you to know that since we were all created in the image of God, and we've all been given some parts of that image, not all, no one is God except him, but it's okay to look at God the Father and the way he, he functions in creation and to say, that, I, I don't know, I just have a real drive to do those kinds of things, to be like that, to, to accomplish this. I want to be a creator, a designer, or a commander. And when we're good at it, the whole community is blessed. When we disappear, the whole community suffers. Every single one has value. So communities operate best when all of us continue to seek out and grow in our calling, in our assignments, in that part of God's nature that's been given to us. It takes years sometimes to figure that out. Today is not the day where we're going to do, you know, gifts analyses and, you know, tests and those kinds of things. I want you to understand, number one, that you're reflecting the nature of your heavenly Father when you walk in those gifts and those callings. And I know it's, it's easy sometimes to feel like, well, I don't, I don't have much to give, and I don't really, I'm just going to sit and receive because I'm just a broken person and don't have a lot of worth, and 
You know what? All those things can be true, but it's still true also that we have to step out and step in to what God's called us to. Remember, communities operate best when all of us continue to grow and to seek out what we've been called to do. And because God's mission is, remember what he said in the garden? I've created man in our image, and I've commanded them to be fruitful and multiply. I call it multiply and manage the garden. That's our assignment. So we've got a role somewhere in this deal because we reflect the very nature of the role of God the Father. Let me show you something about his responsibilities. Again, God's got hundreds of responsibilities. He's got an agenda. You think you've got a big to-do list? Baby, he's got a bigger one. He's got a lot on his mind, and he can handle every bit of it. But let's just summarize a couple of those things. Two of his primary responsibilities would be to protect and provide. Would you agree? Yeah, to keep us safe and to keep us fed and cared for. And you can see this in, in several places. Psalm 23 is probably one of the best where uh, David is writing all about the provision and the protection of his heavenly father. He says, the Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his namesake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Now, there are a couple of places in the Old Testament where the Son of God is kind of referred to prophetically and the Holy Spirit is referred to a little bit. Uh, but most of the time when we think about God in the Old Testament, it's probably the operation of the Father. And so here we say, David... Being protected, being cared for, being sheltered, being provided for. And he's just saying, you are my everything when it comes to those needs in my life. But that's not the only place, you know, in the Old Testament as well. In, uh, God was Israel's protector. Uh, when the Israelites were fleeing Egypt, the Red Seas parted. The Egyptians were catching up. The Red Seas, what? Closed right on top of them. That was God's anointed God the Father protecting his community from their adversaries. Then when they're wandering through the wilderness, the Bible says they were sheltered by clouds during the day so they wouldn't overheat. They were warmed by a fire at night so they wouldn't freeze. That's God's supernatural protection. It's phenomenal. So in the same way, members of God's family actually have been assigned to two of these things. Just like their Heavenly Father, you've been designed to be a provider. You've been designed to be a protector. Not everybody's the same, but it's important to kind of know which category you fit into. It'll come naturally to you. People will be blessed. They'll tell you, thank you. That really helped me. For instance, at the same memorial service yesterday, uh, we were planning several weeks ago how we were going to do it, who's going to do what, and what time, and what place, and how many, and food, and everything. And the one thing I forgot was, um, oh, yeah, I need somebody to run sound in the slideshow. And so the coolest thing is I, I asked Brandon Blue, and he goes, I'll be there. Brandon Blue has got a gift of providing. I, I cannot ever remember a time where he said no. It's like he's always trying to find a way to say yes. Why? Because he's got that, the nature of his heavenly father in him. He's just a provider of service and help. 
And, and it was just always with a smile. There's absolutely nothing untoward or negative about his attitude. He's just gifted that way. And several of you are gifted that way as well. Why? Because you reflect the nature of your father. Later on in that same service, there was a lot going on. There were two little boys running around, both about, I don't know, two-ish, three-ish, or something like that. And uh, there weren't many kids there, and I think that might have been about it. And uh, they were having the time of their life, both before, during, and after the service. And they're just like, Wah! And, uh, you know, it's kind of scary because sometimes kids that age will run so fast they'll slam right into a door and not even know it until it's too late, right? Or they'll start getting rough with each other. So anyway, what I noticed was Bill Baker, who's one of them, grandpa, is literally running around after them, trying to keep them from killing themselves. I mean, literally, we were there for three hours, hour prep, hour service, hour afterwards, another half hour cleanup. And the whole time, this young man... Bill Baker is just running and running and running and running, grabbing kids and carrying them out. And never mean-spirited, but protection, protection, protection. He's bearing the nature of his heavenly father. You see, that's what it takes for communities to recognize it's not just Alex's gift or Cindy's gift or Bob's gift or anybody else's, like my little thing because I have this little thing made of clay that I prefer to walk in. No, God has stamped his image on you. I hope I didn't embarrass you, Bill. I just love you, man. I respect you so much. Here's the point I really wanted to get to. God the Father has roles and responsibilities. The Son has roles and responsibilities. We'll talk about His next week and the Holy Spirit as well. What I want to talk about now is how the Trinity submits to one another. Do you know that the Father submits to the Holy Spirit? And the Father submits to the Son. I know that's a crazy statement. It sounds like a crazy statement. And again, don't put this in a box. I just want you to kind of blend this with what you already know about God the Father. I understand that Jesus said, I only do that which the Father calls me to do. There was submission there. I understand that Paul said, Wives, submit to your husbands. I understand there's a kind of a vertical relationship there. But the implication in both is that um, there's a hierarchy where the greater commands the lesser. And the lesser always obeys the greater. That concept is absolutely true. It is biblical. Uh, Peter said, uh, younger, I want you to submit to your elders. Church, I want you to obey your leader. So we have this picture of clearly submission where there is a greater, maybe in authority, maybe in position, maybe in age, and then there is a younger or a lesser. But in the Trinity, that doesn't exist. There is no greater and lesser. They are co-equals, equal in authority, equal in power. And when I say submission, it's a different kind of definition. I think the Father submits to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, not in a vertical hierarchical sense, but because he understands his role. He did not argue that he should go down on the cross and die. He said, that's not my role. That's the Son's role. And Jesus did not argue that he didn't get to dive into your heart and give you the gifts of the Spirit. That wasn't his role. That's the Holy Spirit's role. 
And nobody was arguing with God the Father because they wanted to be creator. That's not their role. So understand something. Submission in this aspect means they get each other so perfectly and understand their roles and responsibilities so well, there is no higher or lower, better or worse, valuable and invaluable, worthy or unworthy. They get that that's not their job. So they don't argue about those things. Again, this is totally human, shrinky-dink, small way of explaining it, but I want you to get something here. If you and I could mimic that kind of submission where it's a clear understanding and appreciation for one another and we submit because that's not my job. You tell me what you want and what you need because that's your calling. I can see it all over you. You're good at this. You've got a history. You've been seeking and learning and growing and practicing and trying and you may not get it right every time, but I clearly understand that's not my role. When I come in Sunday morning and I see Kenny my friend doing chairs, I can't, almost can't help myself. I just want to go take over. That's not submission. I'm not submitting because he has more power than me or he's in a higher position or he knows more. It's just not my job. If submission is equal understanding and equal value and we just know where the lines are drawn around our lives and we submit because we value what God has planted out of his Father's heart into the other individual... Baby, can you imagine what kind of community we could have where we're not competing with one another and we're not feeling small because, well, he's the senior pastor and, you know, i got to do what he says. No, we just recognize what my role is and what my responsibilities are. So let's take this one step further because it, it can be kind of esoteric and a little bit difficult to apply to, to real life. So let me uh, paint you a picture about a meeting that uh, we had about a week or two ago. I was uh, meeting with a, a team of our, some of our media people, and I just put out the question, I, I think it's time to update our logo, RCC logo. And, uh, and I started the meeting. There were five of us in the room. I started the meeting by saying this, and I, I thought, oh, I was so proud of myself. I really got to tell you. I said, guys, I just want you to know... I'm only here because I have to give Claire a ride home. But normally, I want you guys to meet by yourselves after this because I don't want to be involved because I see everything through Yosemite's lens, and my opinion I know means a lot to you guys, but it will not be the best of the best ideas. I need, right? I need you to do this by yourselves. So, instead of shutting up right there, <laughs> I kept going. I said, like, for instance... I've been driving around town looking at church signs and logos and literature and things like that. And I, and I named a couple of churches. And I said, yeah, I just, I just, that one's just so boxy. I just don't like that. And immediately one of our members said, I actually love that. I'm like, oh, shoot. There I am trying to influence and kind of move the conversation. It was so cool because I, I was able to zip my lip after that because the Lord just said to me, Alex, that's not your job. You just gave your job away and then you just took it back. You see how subtle that can be because we have habits and we think, well, I am the elder, therefore I should win. That's not healthy. That's not what the, the Trinity does. When I said the origin of the concept of community comes from the Godhead, I really meant that. I think we're supposed to aim for this. And the reason we're Christians is because God has given us power 
through his son, by the Holy Spirit, to become those kind of people who really understand when to pull back and when to initiate. When to pull back, when to initiate. But it has nothing to do with value or longevity or seniority or position or anything else. It has to do with understanding God's design. So as you're pondering these kinds of things and you're reading about God operating as the Father, and I'm hoping you're reading your Bibles, or Jesus operating as the Son, the Holy Spirit operating as the Holy Spirit, try and see if you can pull out what is the characteristic of this moment. What, what is the Holy Spirit actually doing? And we'll talk about him in a couple of weeks. Oh, he's breathing encouragement. I think I have that gift too. I'm kind of like that part of the Trinity. Please don't hear me say, I'm kind of like God. Well, yeah, you're made in his image, but we're not competing. I'd like you to study in the next few weeks and pray and say, Lord, how do I, rather than just going right to the, the gifts analysis and the tests and everything, just learn to know your heavenly Father, what he's like, and, and what parallels can you draw? Because I know you've seen patterns already in your life where you say, wow, that's kind of cool. I'm kind of like one of the father figures around here because some of you are. Well, I'm kind of one of the come alongside encouraged figures around here. Well, I'm, I'm kind of the one that doesn't mind sacrificing. Not that you ever have to die on the cross. That's been done once. But there are some people who just like think it's no big deal to just lay down their lives physically, financially, in all kinds of ways. And that's just their role in life. They're always willing to go the extra mile. Characteristics of the roles and responsibilities of the son. I just want to conclude by saying you can't get here without Jesus. This is not just a good idea. I like pouring brain food in sometimes, keep our young minds active, right? I like us to be thinkers. I don't want you to think like me. I want you to think like a Christian. So I like pouring things into our hearts and our minds and stimulating. Plus, it's kind of fun to learn new things. But what I really want us to do is say, Jesus, apart from you, I can do nothing. Does it matter whether I pray to Jesus or the Father or the Holy Spirit? In my personal opinion, I don't think so. I think he, he'll fix it for us midstream. Oh, you meant Father, right? If, if that needs to be done, he'll take care of that. But what we do need is for Jesus to show us and teach us because, again, we're in the last days. We're going to need each other more than ever. But most of all, I want to elevate you and your place in the community of God. And I also want you to understand that it has nothing to do with value, worth, or a hierarchy. It has to do with in Christ, we are all on level ground. Jew, Greek, woman, man, slave, and free. So, Father, we thank you for the chance to explore your word and take a fresh look at something we may have heard many times. But, Lord, we just pray that you bring revelation. Holy Spirit, bring revelation to our hearts and our minds and our understanding about who you are, what you're like, so that when we talk about you, when we hear about you, when we read about you, when we sing about you, we can also identify parts of your image that have been implanted in us. We pray that you would accelerate our growth, accelerate our understanding and our hunger to become the community of God that actually is, boy, just a few inches from heavenly. We believe you can do that in us, Father, and we're going to keep pressing in in these last days. And we just pray that the world will look at us and say, wow, look at how they love one another. Look how they respect and honor one another. Look how they submit to one another. Nobody's the pro. Nobody's the hero. 
just Jesus. So, Father, help us to become that kind of community in Jesus' mighty name. Amen? Amen. Amen. All right. Well, I hope to see you next week, and uh, we'll take a look at some of the roles and responsibilities of Jesus the Son. It's pretty fascinating, so look forward to that.